Welcome back, cricket fans, to the Ashes Central podcast. We're here after an eventful day two, uh, which began with Australia getting all out for 303. They put on 70 this morning, um, especially helped by the 31 from Nathan Lyon, including three sixes. Then the English came out to bat and they barely survived the first over, but then didn't survive the second over after a good run out um, by Labashane of Burns. He was out for a duck. Uh, and things didn't get too much better from the English from then onwards, out for 188 in total, 115 runs behind. But then the Australians came out and faced possibly the most difficult spell of bowling this whole series. Warner was out on a pair. Uh, then Labashane and Kawaja also fell after some great bowling by Broad and uh, Wokes in particular. Uh, but then Scott Bolland did his job as the night watchman and kept the score to three for 37. We didn't lose any more wickets uh, and Australia still 152 runs ahead. Okay, we've got a lot to discuss, but I'll start off with the question, who won today? You know, it was a very eventful day. A lot of things happened. Australia do have that lead. Pearson, Australia's day? Oh, by a healthy margin. When you... I mean, granted, I didn't think they batted well this morning or this evening. Well, granted, it wasn't really morning, but I'm yet to adjust myself to day-night test schedules. But in the afternoon and night time, I should say, I didn't think they acquitted themselves particularly well with the bats. But I think any time in which you can bowl the team out for 188 and get a 120-run lead is more than enough to call it your day. I think after yesterday, there was still a chance of England at least getting somewhat in the game. And I think there still is now. If we get Smith out cheaply, who knows, tomorrow morning. But it's definitely Australia's day because you're closer to victory than you were at the end of yesterday. And Ethan, you would agree, England's batting woes helping the Australians yet again. Yeah, I guess the sort of mediocre batting or poor batting performance from Australia is just marked by the fact that England haven't done very well. I think we talked about yesterday that Australia would love you know, 320, maybe even 350, if they batted very well. Um, it looked for a large part that they wouldn't even make that. Needed some heroics from uh, Lyon and Boland. But 303 is a decent score. But yeah, as, as we've mentioned, 188 from England, um, that's just not enough runs. And anytime you get that sort of lead in the first innings, it's a good day. And that's masked the, the 3 for 37 that Australia finished up on. Indeed. We'll discuss that in a little bit. We'll start off with England's bowling performance this morning, though. Uh, Wood with three for 115 and Broad with three for 59, probably the pick of the bowlers across the innings. Um, Pearson, the question we have for you is, did Robinson not really being able to bowl today, did that affect you, especially in picking up the tail? Uh, and the broader question, does his fitness problems or concerns um, or, or lack of fitness more generally, is that becoming a concern and maybe, you know, stopping him being able to be selected? Of course, he... His absence possibly today was less keenly felt than it was on day one. I think having that bowler that can extract more nip off the seam and more bounce than anyone else in either of the two squads is useful to have, particularly against two in-batsmen, which we sorely needed against Head and Green on day one. I thought, of course, we could have done with him today. We did end up in a situation where I felt we overworked Mark Wood in the morning session because we didn't have that extra bowler. I think it would have been masked had, not Smith, had Stokes been around. But of course, Stokes also carrying an injury meant we had total weight on three bowlers for that whole first innings, which makes their efforts seem reasonably impressive because it was, of course, 
bar the second innings in Melbourne, the lowest score you've hit in the opening innings of a Test match all series. So I don't, I don't think we were bad. I think we would have liked probably 20 runs less to be working towards than you actually hit. I think to follow the trend, actually, we've seen a lot this series. I would have said you hit about 50 runs over par and we hit about 50 runs under par. And that generally has been the case this series. And there's no sign of that changing at the minute. Although hopefully we can get you at least for below par this innings and make some sort of contest out of it. And Ethan, I know you have some strong views on Robinson. Uh, is this becoming a problem for England? Well, if you just flash back to the first test at the Gabba, it was Robinson's fitness there that was problematic and he had to miss, I think, Sydney um, with, with an injury. And again today, he's, you know, he's, he's only gotten through eight overs in the first innings. Um, I, and I think England have, have mentioned it now uh, publicly that Robinson needs to work on his fitness. You know, he's, he's known at the county level as the workhorse, someone who can bowl a lot of overs. But we haven't seen him fulfill that role at the international level. I mean, you've got um, no spinner in your side and, and people like Wood who need short spells um, to keep bowling that, you know, 145, 150 pace. Um, you, need, you need reliable quicks. Um, and so I, d- I definitely think before, you know, the next series or the series after, um, England will be really imploring Ollie Robinson to, to work on his fitness because they really need reliability from their fast bowlers. It's definitely a bit of a rarity, really, in all professional sport to see someone who's you know visibly unfit really um and it's probably not great in the dressing room to have someone like that you know just uh, in terms of camaraderie so yeah i think it, it's it's fair to have concerns on that anyway moving on to england's batting innings um you know they, they scored at a pretty good pace um throughout a lot of starts um but just lost too many wickets uh, at key times and no one really able to go on with it Pearson, how did you rate, you know, I feel sorry for you. You keep having to, you know, try and get some positives out of England's batting this series. But uh, did you see any today? Not really. Honestly, I thought that was, I mean, excluding the 68, which was differently humiliating. I thought this was one of our worst innings of the series in the sense that we had seven players past 10 which is more than Australia had in their first innings, yet only one player passed 35, and that was Chris Wokes, who hit 36. This inability to convert starts into any score of meaning has clearly been an issue for us. Even when we've scored more runs in previous tests, we've had a lot of players, well, when I say lots, we've had, I think, three players that have consistently passed 50 and never been able to hit a telling 100. I know I made the same complaint about the Australian batsman last night that couldn't put the game to bed. And I think England have that same situation, except worse. I thought on the plus side, Billings showed some promise. I thought he batted well. I still think he wants to feel bad on ball a bit too much. I did think you bowled well, but I think it was probably one of our weaker batting performances. Most wickets were very much preventable in a way I don't think you could say was the case in a few of our other innings. Like that 68, a lot of it was just high-class bowling. I think you look at Burns was a thoroughly preventable run out. Milan nicked off down the leg side. Stokes crunched one that somehow ended up in the hands of a diving line at backward point. The point being, there were a lot of times where we shouldn't have lost wickets, but did. And it's matter a whole series. And this innings was a very good example of how the series has gone so far. 
And just quickly, why why do you think it is that you can't seem to go on with innings when players get starts? Is it, you know, for a few wickets there, Australia, they seem to have worked out a few of your batsmen, like Milan down the leg side seems to have an issue on the shorter balls like that. Um, to Crawley, it was also smart the way he was batting um, a bit further down the pitch. They put it a little bit shorter. Do you think that could be it? Does the credit have to go to the bowling on that? or It's a mix. I think, I mean, you do you do have to look at the top order in context. Of course, Zach Crawley scored more runs in that innings than both Australians did across both innings combined. So clearly it's not an easy pitch for new batsmen to come in. But it is worth noting that when we get starts, we don't kick on, as we keep saying. And I think some of that has to be mental. I think most of the players do have at least some semblance of technique to get them through, but a lot of them don't have the temperament. I mean, Ollie Pope is the prime example, is he has every shot in the book. He's arguably the most talented batting talent under the age of 24 in world cricket at the minute. But he just has a tendency, because of having those shots, to want to play them constantly. And I do think there's a lot of batsmen in this England side that are just a touch too frenetic. So yes, some batsmen have been worked out to some degree. I think Milan today at least was slightly unlucky, but he does overbalance on the leg side. And they have obviously worked out Root. He's nicked off in every single innings he's played until today. So there are some times you give credit to the bowlers, but I thought today... If we'd batted well, we could have hit 250. There is a limit to how much you can credit the bowlers. A lot of it was poor batting. Just quickly, you speak about the poor opening partnerships and I saw the Crickbiz expected average uh, in the first 15 overs for this test was 21.2, uh, which was the fifth lowest uh, for any test played in Australia. So uh, the stats do back you up there. It is a difficult pitch to play early on. Uh, Ethan, from the side of Australia's bowling, uh, you know, we got out to a pretty good start with the bowling, but it could have been even better with a couple missed DRS chances there. Uh, but really, we just went from strength to strength. I thought, you know, Cummins was the destroyer early on, you know, the breakthrough guy early on, four for 45. Then Bolland was miserly, as always, 59% of his balls on a good length, picked up one for 35. And then Stark, as he so often does, especially in peak bowl matches, wrapped up the tail with three for 53 you know, a complete performance by the Australians today? Yeah, it was a, a good bowling performance pretty much all round. I think England failed to get a 50-run partnership in their whole innings, and that's a testament to the fact that um, the Aussie Quicks just kept pressing on. We saw in Australia's first innings after being 3 for 12, that they were able to get a few partnerships together um, and, and, you know, change the momentum of the game. Um, but England weren't able to do that, and that's sort of testament to the, you know, the line and length and the, the attack that the bowlers have put through today. Um, Scott Bolden, as you mentioned, he, he hits the spots. Um, I think uh, one of the news outlets was saying it was almost disastrous. His bowling average was uh, nearing 10, uh, but he did claim the wicket of Ollie Pope to get it back down. Um, so that's great from him. And Cummins, notably, was doing a lot of damage with that uh, in-swinger today. I think Joe Root was LBW. Um, and I guess the uh, Crawley as well with the okay, inside edge to, to back pad. Um, and one thing that was raised last test was that Cummins doesn't get a lot of LBWs, but I do wonder if those two LBWs that he got in that second innings have given him some extra confidence with that inswinger. And if he can add another weapon to his arsenal, he's going to be an even more dangerous bowler. Yeah, it was unbelievable until those that those two in the one over, 
um, in particular the one to Wood, he, you'd never see him bowl an in-swinger, but now he's bowling him all the time and, and getting a lot of success. Uh, Pearson, in compared to how England bowled, England, as you probably spoke about yesterday, didn't bowl too badly. Um, but, you know, what was the difference? How were the Australians able, you know, to restrict the, the score even more? Is it the extra pace? Is it, you know, the line, Australia consistently bowling a more attacking line? Or what was the, the one thing? If we're looking at today in isolation, we bowled, at least numbers-wise, better than you did is we hit 190, you hit seven for 100. So I think off today's viewing, it would be very harsh to suggest that England were particularly weak with the ball. What I will say, because England get frequently hit with questions over this, is today had the worst overrate of the series, primarily because not an over was of spin was bowled by Australia or England the entire day. I can't name the last time Lyon didn't bowl an over. But I, I do think as a wider point of view, you do generally speaking bowl with that little bit more penetration. I don't think England lack accuracy per se. I do think we sorely missed Anderson this test. And I think Wokes had a terrible day one, but a very good day two, which probably balanced things out. But when, you have, when you're down to three bowlers, there is a limit to how much you can do in terms of avoiding fatigue and being perfectly accurate. So I think, yes, across the series, you've bowled better. But I don't think we acquitted ourselves badly with ball in hand by any means today. I thought we almost matched you, if I'm being honest. You try and move on from Jimmy Anderson, but then every test he doesn't play, you know, you, you can't help but thinking how much better it would be with Anderson. It is a bit of a difficult situation there. But anyway, finally, moving on to happier things for English fans, at least. Uh, we saw what we've been waiting for this series in the pink ball test. Didn't really get it in Adelaide, but we definitely got it today. Broad and Wokes moving the ball uh, uh, a whole lot there at the end. Um, very difficult batting conditions. Pearson, I'll, I'll start with you. You know, how good were Broad and, and Wokes there at the start? And which one is better is a big question because they were both doing the job pretty well there. Well, I think it was probably the second best spell of bowling of the series behind day two night at the MCG when we lost four for 20 odd. And I think we probably deserve to also take four for 20 or 30 rather than the three we took. But I thought we were excellent actually in that session. I thought broad opened solidly. I think those conditions are tailor-made for Chris Wokes. If you get Wokes, of course there is the easy way to dissect England's bowling is the six first choice bowlers can be split into three categories. You have your raw pace bowlers, which are Archer, who's now injured, and Wood. You have your seam bowlers, which are Robinson and Broad. And then you have your swing bowlers, which are Anderson and Wokes. On the pitch today, it felt more of a pitch conducive to swing than it did seam. Therefore, I would suggest that Wokes was probably the pick of the bowlers tonight. On day one, however, you look at the wickets taken by Ollie Robinson with the new ball and you see how important seam was there. So I think Wokes probably was pick of the bowlers today, but I thought they all bowled very well. I think it's it's easily the most threatening we've looked, but that's probably because it's the first time we've gotten conditions that really suit a technical test of the batsman. When it comes down to patience, you have outdone us regularly. And of course, with your extra 10, 15 kilometers of pace per bowler, you do generally extract more bounce and more venom off the wickets that we 
barring wood, just can't do. I'm jumping around a bit here, but I do want to ask you this one. Have you tamed Manus Labashane? Uh, you've got him really well today with a straighter one, similar to how he got out, you know, very strangely in the first innings. How much would you read into this? Well, I mean, Labashane was always destined to have his average drop at some stage. He's, he is a disproportionately lucky cricketer. Of course, his average is 23 runs higher than it would be if an average amount of catches were taken off of his bowling compared to drop catches. So I do think he was always going to suffer some dip in form. I think you compare him to Smith, who a lot of people have over the last couple of years. He is more obviously fallible, I think. I think you're more likely to get Labashain out with a good delivery. And I think we've seen that for the past two tests. But it follows a wider trend of a lot of the top batsmen of the series dropping off after Adelaide. Of course, Root and Milan were both averaging 50 plus. They now average in the 30s and 20s, respectively. Warner dropped from averaging in the 60s or 70s down. Labashain, of course, hit a 250s and 100 in his first three innings. He's not past 50 since. So possibly it is also that the pitches have gotten harder to bat on. But I don't think he's the messiah in the way Steve Smith is. I think he is fallible to a high-quality bowling attack, and I think we saw that here. So bring on more games on these type of wickets against Manus Labashain. <laughs> and a good take by Sam Billington in his first test as well. Thought he kept pretty well. Uh, Ethan Warner gets a pair uh the 14th time broad has dismissed him pearson's celebrating here in his english shirt obviously very happy tonight for some reason um it raises the question you know is warner a bit of a well i think we know the answer warner a bit of a flat trap bully um always struggles in these situations what did you think of it yep it's a it's a sorry we've all heard before isn't it warner getting dismissed by broad early on moving conditions is just not not at home it's not the same david warner uh 25 balls is faced across the two innings here and been dismissed twice and scored uh, zero runs um so yep certainly no one can dispute that uh, david warner is short broad bunny it was a weird shot today just sort of throwing his hands at it and sort of edging it to a backward point um and yeah he, he sort of just looks lost in these conditions. Um, he's a great batsman on roads in Australia, averages over 60, um, but he's one of the bat batsmen with the largest you know, disparity between home and away um, averages just because he's so good on flat tracks, but when the ball starts to move um, and, and under you know, pressure, he, he's just not, not the same. Uh, and Broad's exploited that today. Uh, and yeah, you, you could see that coming with, with the ball moving and how difficult it's been in the first 15 overs. Um, you, you sort of lose faith in David Warner. There's probably the thing that differentiates him from the truly great batsmen of, of this generation, the inability or unwillingness almost, it seems sometimes, with him to change his game to, to circumstance. He just always wants to, to play the same way. Uh, and then Osman Kawaja got one of the best bounces you'll ever see to get caught behind off of wood. And then Scott Bottom comes out and does a pretty good job as Night Watchman hangs in there. Uh, and Steve Smith not looking too bad also. Uh, that brings us on to our predictions. How long can those two last tomorrow? Smith in particular, need a beginnings from him. You know, what will Australia's lead look like? Um, and can England provide some sort of fourth innings performance? Uh, Pearson, we'll start with you. Well, I think, I mean, as you say, I think Boland has looked the most competent against the new ball of any batsman this test, I think. Otherwise, it's been a competition of who can have the worst technique against the new ball. 
Kawaja stands in effect front on and just throws his hands at it. Warner doesn't understand how to block instead of drive. Rory Burns has his own idiosyncrasies. And of course, Zach Crawley is almost too aggressive for his own good at some times. So I do think he's actually got a chance of frustrating England tomorrow as a result, Scott Boland. I think if the ball does even close to as much as it did last, well, tonight, I think he will fall somewhat quickly. But if it does flatten out at all, he could be a real thorn in England's side. I think Smith will know if he doesn't turn up today, that'll be the fifth series of his last eight in which he's not scored a ton, which for a player of his stature is pretty poor. I mean, that's excluding the Ashes and the India series. So the 2019 Ashes, he's turned up once in the last five years, I think it is. No, it wouldn't be five. It would be but since his ban, I should say, since the 1718 Ashes, he's turned up in one series except the 19 Ashes in India. So he will want runs, and I think he will get some. I hold out hope we won't have to see a Smith ton this innings. I must admit, Smith tonight was arguably the most annoying person to watch ever. It's usually a battle between him and Manus, but the added idiosyncrasies of Smith were particularly poor. But I think you'll bat competently, but I think we'll bowl well enough to dismiss you for about how much you dismissed us for yesterday today actually i think you'll be all out for somewhere between 180 and 220 but i think regardless that's probably too many for england to have a hope of chasing and i think we'll still fall well short i think the game will go into monday i don't see it finishing tomorrow but i think you will have the telling advantage by the end of tomorrow despite having not hit an obviously match-winning total in this innings we have seen in, in both innings it get a fair bit easier to bat also, so that has to go in Australia's favour. Ethan, what's your prediction? Yeah, so 3 for 37 after 19. It has been getting easier to bat after the first 15 overs. Um, so hopefully Steve Smith and maybe even Scotty Boland can, can catch in tomorrow. Steve Smith used to be the batsman that at two for nothing, he, he was the one you wanted at the crease. He had averaged over 60. He was the best sort of fab four batsman in those conditions. We haven't really seen that of late, but hopefully that appears tomorrow. Um, and if he bats well, hopefully Australia can get to you know, 200, 230 and get the lead to 300, 350. Um, that, that'd be more than enough, you'd suspect, but it'll take some batting to get there. And if England can go bang, bang, get out Smith and Head tomorrow, then you've got a, you know, a 6 to 11 who haven't really made too many runs this series and they could really put the foot, foot down and maybe even make a game of it. Always enjoy your, your predictions. They're always very well thought out. They need to get you on Fox Cricket or something. <laughs> very good. Okay, just before we go, a bit of a bonus question, uh, probably a bit of a teaser for some other podcasts we do to wrap up the series. Um, could this series have been any different if Broad played in Brisbane uh, and potentially got Warner out early? And, you know, it, it just the whole, the whole um, way that the match could have turned out could have been very different there. Pearson? Oh, the series was lost after one ball when Burns got dismissed. I think we saw the same thing actually in the 06-7 series when Harmison bowled wide on the first ball to second slip. Is it set the tone and I don't think England ever really have much of a chance to recover. I do think Broad should have played more. He certainly should have played in Brisbane. I think he should have missed Adelaide and he should have played Melbourne. So I think we got those the exact opposite way around. I think 
maybe he'd have gotten you out for lower totals, but we've been so thoroughly outclassed across the series that I don't think playing Wood in one more, sorry, not Wood, Broad in one more test than we already have would really have changed much the overall outcome. Maybe the defeats would have dropped from by 200 to 150, but we still would have lost 4-0, assuming we're to lose this test. Ethan? Yeah, England were 5 for 60 in the first innings and went on to lose that match by nine wickets. So uh, I'm not sure getting David Warner out. Um, it was only in the, the one innings as well would, would have made too much of a difference. Um, perhaps if, you know, Wood had sort of figured out minus Labashan a bit earlier and those two things happen, then, then you'd sort of say maybe. But yeah, I'm not putting too much weight onto Broad and Warner. I think Broad actually answers this question. Broad said in a press conference he was asked this. And he said, it doesn't matter what bowlers you pick if your batsmen are all out for 140 every innings. And he's right. We've not bowled badly. It's probably been our best tour for the bowlers since the 10-11 Ashes that we won. But it doesn't matter when you have no runs on the board. We've passed 250 in the first innings once. Regardless of who you pick, I don't think the bowlers can rescue a situation like that. Yeah, that's the somewhat depressing takeaway from England's performance this series. That's all for the podcast today. Australia lead by 152 after day two. And hopefully tomorrow we see a big Smith ton. Unlike Pearson, I, I love watching him bat. It's an experience. You, you get to see a dance and a cricket match all, all in one. Thank you guys what, for coming. What, what I will say about Smith is he is very good at what he does and he gets into his bubble well. Something I think England have never exploited well enough is talking to him. I, I honestly wouldn't be opposed to having a short leg in just to swear at him for a full day's play. If you can mess up his head, you will get him out. You look at him in Brisbane, that was the most skittish innings you'll see because his head wasn't there. It's not necessarily a technical thing. It's getting into his head. And his head is clearly a weird place going by the way he bats, which makes it thoroughly unwatchable, if you ask me. Hopefully he goes out first ball tomorrow morning. Yeah, I reckon rather than getting them to swear at him, you can just shove your shoelaces in his face and see if that yeah, sets him off guard. Yeah, mess up his ID, do something along those lines. Yeah. Something subtle that will really irk him. That's all you need. Like even come by and purposely try and flick his shoelace out when you're feeling it short leg. It's a good way of doing it. He might get fined for overrates, but it could get in his head. I, I can get behind that as a tactic. You've got to disrupt him. He bats too much like a metronome. You got to get in his way. We really need to get you into the, the English team and change things up. But they're too nice. Have we spoken about you? Know? Yeah. To get KP. So is Australia, but it's a, the series has been too nice, as we said. Yes. Although Smith has failed, so maybe there isn't that much to it. But There's I'd not like the need for pulling is. your shoelaces out yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Twenty nineteen. If, if he'd hit seven hundred in the series for the third time running, then we might have gotten to shoelace territory. But for now, I'm happy for someone to just verbally abuse him at short leg. I think that's the way to go tomorrow morning. Well, on that note, I think it's time to end. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Goodbye. <laughs>